this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to open with me to Luke chapter 19. If you got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to give you just a second uh, to be turning there. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just mention to you how excited I am uh, for that new sermon series that we're going to be starting next Sunday. Uh, I think the truth be told... A lot of us, uh, we come in and out of church every Sunday and we go through our lives and we still have the base struggle that each and every one of us have. This, the base struggle that we all have is who am I? Who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to believe? And in this new series we're going to be starting to call, next week called A Better Story, we're going to be looking at who God says that we are and how God says that we should live our lives based on who He says we are, right? Everybody in this world tries to define us. Everything tries to tell us who we should be, how we should dress, what we should look like, but we're going to look at what God says we should be and what our identity be, uh, is based on Him. So I'm excited about that sermon series coming up. I pray that next Next week, uh, you'll be here with us as we open that up, and uh, I think I'm opening that up next week, so uh, it's going to be a, a good week, and I, I pray that you'll come back and, and join us. Uh, be turning your Bible to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to open us up in, uh, with a word of prayer before we uh, dive into the scripture. God, I am so thankful for your word this morning, dear God. I'm thankful for who you are, dear God. I'm thankful for the opportunity this morning, uh, God, to open your word and, and, and to see what you would have to say to us, dear Lord. And you know my heart this morning, God. You know how, how burdened I am, dear God. You know how, uh, dear God, I just want to convey what you teach in your word so clearly, dear God, this morning. Dear God, I can't do that without your help, dear God. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us now and uh, give us clarity for where we're going, dear God. I pray that you would be with us. And uh, dear Lord, I pray that each person in here, you would just open their hearts to hear what you would say, dear God. Uh, silence me, dear Lord. I am nothing. And I just can't wait to see what you're going to do in and through your word today, God. I love you and I praise you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So listen, this morning as we close uh, our Bigger Than Me series, the last message we got in our Bigger Than Me series, I want to take some time and I want I want us to all collectively as a church to focus our hearts on the gospel of Jesus and the mission of God. I believe that if we can truly grasp how big the gospel is and how awesome the mission of God is, then we can truly realize that this whole thing we come here every week to do is bigger than me. It's not just about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I've got going on. This whole thing is bigger than me. And truth be told, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, I felt God burden my heart because I think we need a serious reminder School's in. Just a second. I think we need a serious reminder this morning as to what the gospel actually is. Because this morning, we got to realize that the gospel is not just our get out of hell free card. Okay, So many times we come to church week after week and we think the extent to what the gospel actually is is that if I believe in Jesus, then I don't go to hell. Right? And now that is part of the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. The gospel is a lot bigger than that. You see, the gospel is the good news of, is that we have a God who through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is taking this broken, messed up, jacked up world, and he's reconciling not only individuals to himself, but he's putting the whole world back together again through Jesus Christ. He's making all things right. He's not just out to save individuals like me and individuals like you. He's out to fix this broken world and reconcile a world of lost sinners to himself. 
It's a lot bigger than just me, and it's a lot bigger than just you. And here's the beautiful thing about that. God has asked me and he's asked you to join us with him, in with him on this mission to reconcile the world back to himself. He's asked each and every one of us to come and be a part of his mission. So do you see how big this actually is? This isn't just about one man getting up and preaching a good message. This isn't just about you coming to church every Sunday because you don't want to go to hell. This is about the gospel and the mission and the kingdom of God, and it's bigger than any one of us. So the question becomes, if God has asked us to join with him on this mission, how do we do that? How do, how do you get up tomorrow morning and go to your job, whether you're a teacher or you, whether you, uh, you work in the woods, whether you uh, build houses, whether you uh, push pills, uh, that's my wife. Whatever, whatever you do, how do you get up on a daily basis and join in the mission of God? That's the question for us. Because, listen, I was telling, I was telling our connectors this morning, I firmly believe that God still wants to use each one of us in our everyday lives to advance his mission. I believe that. So how do we do that? So the, and the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we, we hear this verse all the time, right? It's the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. He says, if you want to join me on my mission, go and make disciples. So here's the thing. I think we all know that because most of us have been coming to church our whole life and we've heard that our whole life. So, you know, you know we need to be on mission for God. We need to be going and making disciples. But here's what I, I honestly believe. I honestly believe we've made that more complicated than it has to be, right? God told us to join him in on the mission and go and make disciples, and we get absolutely freaked out, and we have no idea what to do, and we just lose our minds because we, we think we don't know how to make disciples. But really, it's simple. See, making disciples means to meet people where they are and take them to where Jesus wants them to be. It means we go to people and we get them to Jesus. We do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. And then we walk with them until they know how to obey Jesus. You see, it's not complicated. It, it's not, it don't, you don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to make disciples. All you have to do is care about people enough to go to them and get them to Jesus and then teach them to obey Jesus. And you see, we see the ultimate picture of this in Luke chapter 19. If you got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and we're going to start in verse 1. Here, Jesus meets a man named Zacchaeus. And although he is among the most of horrible people we can imagine, Jesus meets him where he's at. And he gets him to where he needs to be. And that's the same thing me, you, me and you are called to do as Christians. So I want us to see how this should play out in our, our everyday life. So see where I'm going here now before we ever read the scripture. I want you to understand how you can leave this place today and do the same thing Jesus does. How you can go about your everyday life and meet people where they are and get them to where Jesus wants them to be. That's what it means to make a disciple. How can you do that? And I think we see a picture of this in Luke chapter 19. Let's start right there in verse 1. The Bible says this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. How many of you, when you hear Zacchaeus' name, you automatically think, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? You can't break it. You grew up in church. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Verse 5, this is really important. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now they, they're the other people who were in the crowd, the religious people, the other Jews. When, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So there's a, I want you all to see a couple of things in this passage. But the very first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see in this, point number one, I want you to see the kind of people that Jesus came to save. Let's look at verse 2. If you got your Bible, let's look at what Bible says about Zacchaeus in verse 2. It says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. See, very, at the very outset of this passage, we see the kind of people People that Christ came to save. And Zacchaeus is the perfect example of the kind of person Christ came to save because Zacchaeus is the worst of the worst. Now, a lot of you have heard this Bible story your whole life, so you take for granted how bad Zacchaeus actually is. But I want to explain to you just how, how bad of a human being this is. First of all, the Bible says he's a tax collector. What this means is that he was a Jew who lived in Judea, lived in Jerusalem, or lived in Jericho, and he had betrayed his own countrymen, and the people thought his own God, and he was taking up taxes for the Romans, so he he was taxing other Jews and giving it to the Romans, okay? So he's betrayed those people. It would be like me. Instead of, let's imagine that we all didn't have to pay in taxes to the IRS, right? That would be, that would be beautiful. It would be like if we didn't have to pay in taxes, it would be like the government sending one person down here to collect all the money. And that, let's imagine that person would be me. How many of y'all would actually like me, right? You, yeah, I would be a hated person. That I, you, you would view me as someone who had betrayed you. And that's how people viewed Zacchaeus. He had betrayed his own country, his own God, and his own brothers. He was a tax collector. People hated him. And bad, the Bible says that he was rich. Now, understand this. There's only one way that tax collectors get rich, okay? That's by lying, cheating, and stealing. All right, this guy is a thief because what they would do was Rome would send him to collect the taxes that everybody, that everybody owed. So if you owed $5 in taxes, Zacchaeus would show up and say, you owe $10 in taxes, and guess where five of it goes? Five of it goes to Rome, and the other five goes to Zacchaeus. We're talking about a man who literally skimmed off the top of every person he ever met. All right, you're looking at a guy who got rich literally by stepping on poor people. This is a horrible human being. This is a human being that if we could all meet, we would all be lining up to punch him in the nose, right? This guy is, is horrible. He steps on the little guys, and he has no conscience about it. And to make matters worse, the Bible says he was a chief tax collector. Now, understand this. In, the, in, the, in these times, there were three places that were major centers for taking up taxes, right? There were three big cities that were, that were big cities for taking up taxes for Rome. And one of these cities was Jericho. And Zacchaeus is the chief 
tax collector in Jericho. What that means is that Zacchaeus is not the one who goes on the streets anymore and asks people for the money. It means Zacchaeus is the one who's in charge of all those other punks out there asking the other guys for money. Zacchaeus, we're literally looking at the kingpin of the tax cartel here in Jericho. This guy is like a, 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 the equivalent to a modern-day drug dealer selling drugs to babies. I mean, this guy is a deplorable, disgusting human being. And sadly, whenever the story's been portrayed to us for so long, what happens is we're, we're told that we should feel sorry for Zacchaeus. Right, My little girl's got a, a Jesus Storybook Bible, and I went and looked at the Zacchaeus story in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the title of it is The Man Who Had No Friends. Right, it, like, It's trying to portray, you know why he didn't have any friends? Because he was a horrible person, okay? Like nobody liked him. He, it was a good thing that he didn't have any friends. We're taught to sing silly little songs about this guy. Oh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and he just wanted to see Jesus, right? Oh, poor Zacchaeus, nobody liked him. But that completely misses the point. If we don't understand from the outset how bad of a person Zacchaeus is, we miss that Zacchaeus is the worst of the worst, and yet Jesus still came to save Zacchaeus. I want you to see that from the very beginning. Jesus came not to save the good religious people who were in synagogue every Sunday and who never missed. Jesus came to save the man who was the worst sinner imaginable. See, I want you to see something. It tells us that the Bible here in verse 2 tells us Zacchaeus' name. Despite the fact that he was horrible, despite the fact that he was low down, good for nothing, he was a scumbag, the Bible tells us his name. Now, a lot of you probably take for granted in this story that the Bible tells us Zacchaeus' name. Why, does, why, why would that even matter? What difference does that make? But think about it with me for a second. Think about how many people in the Bible we meet that it doesn't tell us their name. Think about it just, oh, there was this guy and this guy, and it just doesn't even say his name. His name doesn't matter. God's telling us here that Zacchaeus has a name. Why would God waste the space on the paper to tell us this guy has a name of such a bad guy? Nevertheless, God tells us his name is Zacchaeus. And I think what we see here is just a little bit of God's mercy. Because as bad as this man was, what the Bible wants us to see is that he's a real person and he has a real name. You ever know, you know, somebody becomes real to you when you learn their name. They're not just a face, they have a a real name. God is showing us this is a man who has a real name and he has a real soul and he uh, he needs a real savior. And if Jesus doesn't save Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus will die and go to a real hell. I want, I want you to see how the Bible is making this personal. This is not just anybody. This is not just a stranger on the street. This is somebody who has a name and who has a soul. This is massively important for us today, church, because, listen, it's time for us to realize as a church and as individuals who make up the church that there are real people who live outside these walls. You know that? There are people in our community who, outside these walls, they have real names and they have real souls, and it doesn't matter if they are the worst, most despicable, disgusting human beings imaginable. It doesn't matter if they look like us or if they have the same skin color. It doesn't matter if we like them or hate them. Jesus Christ came to save real people with real names and with real souls. This is important, guys. I want you to see this morning, first of all, the kind of people Jesus came to save. Jesus Christ came to save the worst of the worst. And even though they are so bad, even though we are so bad, Jesus looks at us and he has mercy on us. That's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to see Jesus' method for reaching people. Look at verse 5 with me. 
So Jesus says that we get, we get this story of Zacchaeus, and he's, in t- he's trying so hard to see Jesus, and it's almost a comical scene to me because the guy who is so powerful is so short that he can't even, he can't even see over the crowd, right? And he's trying so hard to see Jesus, and he can't, he can't find it. But then in verse 5, we, we find that Jesus is walking down the road in Jericho, and Zacchaeus has climbed up the sycamore tree, and Jesus takes the time to stop and call out Zacchaeus. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Listen, the first thing we see about Jesus' method for reaching people is that he initiated a relationship with other people. Jesus actually took the time to care about other people and initiate a relationship with them. Here's the first tip of leading somebody to a growing relationship with Christ. You got to talk to them. You got to talk to them. You cannot lead somebody to Jesus Christ if you do not, at the very least, open your mouth and talk to them. See, we, for some strange reason, Christians in our day and time, especially in this Bible Belt community, we've bought into the idea that all we have to do to be faithful to the mission of God is to live a moral life in front of others. Just be a good person in front of other people, and, and, and then by, and other people, by seeing our lives, they're going to see that they need Jesus and need to be saved. And guys, God has the power to do that. But you know how many times I've actually heard of somebody coming to know Christ just because somebody else lived a good life in front of them? Zero. I've never heard of it. Because that, that's not being faithful to the mission of God. Jesus shows us here that that's not all we're called to do. do. Jesus initiated contact with a real person who had a real name. And he had a real need for a Savior. See, I want, you, I, want, I want us to understand this this morning, church. Discipleship, evangelism, and the mission of God is a matter of Christians caring enough about lost people to initiate a relationship with them with the goal of leading them to Christ. To see just in how important this was, I want you to see what the Bible says about Christ in verse 5. In verse 5, it says that Jesus told Zacchaeus, what did he say? I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. I want you to see that when Jesus is dealing with lost people, he has a sense of divine urgency. This is not something that can just kind of wait or be put on the back back burner for Christ. This is something that is massively important. And and Jesus' busy schedule where he's going through to Jerusalem, he's on his way to the cross to die at this point. He's got people following him, people wanting to be healed, people calling his name, people, the crowds are crowding in around him at all times, and Jesus stops everything and says, no, there is one thing I've got to do right now. I've got to take a, I've got to initiate a relationship with this guy and get him to the cross. Let me ask you something this morning, church. As a Christian, are you this passionate about seeing lost people be saved? Are you, in your mind, is, is seeing lost people come to know Christ this important? Jesus said, I must. There's nothing else more important. But I also want you to see that this is not, he's not only got divine urgency, this is a divine appointment. Like God has made this appointment right here. The text shows that God planned this meeting between Jesus and Zacchaeus at this moment before Zacchaeus was ever even born. You see, I believe that Jesus was walking through the roads at Jericho, and he knew that he was going to meet Zacchaeus at this point. 
He knew that God had planned to save Zacchaeus. He knew that today was a day of salvation for Zacchaeus. And as I was reading that, I couldn't help but be burdened about the fact that I believe that there are people in my life that God wants to save. There are people in my divine appointments in my life that I can lead people to Christ. But let me ask you this, church. Are you praying for those divine appointments? Because as I was, as I was preparing for this message and I, I was coming to that point, that, that moment of divine appointment where Jesus met Zacchaeus, and caught him out of the tree and said, I got to come to your house today. The one thing God convicted me about in a big way was that I got a bunch of people in my life that I want to lead to Christ, but I hardly ever pray for the opportunity to have that divine appointment and lead them to Christ. Do you care enough about the lost people in your life to pray for moments like this? To pray when you come to a lost person to say, today is the day of salvation for this person. I want to ask you this. Who in your life, church, who's in your life that you have a personal relationship with or that you can initiate a relationship with that you can point to Christ. You see, our job as Christians is to be taking people who we have a relationship with and doing our very best to point them to the cross because we know that we can't save them, but we know the person that can. Do you have anybody in your life that you need to build that relationship with? Not only, not only did Jesus initiate a relationship with him, but I want you to see this. Jesus met Zacchaeus where he was. Jesus met Zacchaeus where he was. Look at, where, look at what the dialogue. It says, Zacchaeus came to him, or Jesus came to Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I, I want you to see what Jesus didn't say to him, okay? Jesus didn't come up to this man. I've already told you, this guy's a bad human being. We're talking about a guy who sells drugs on the streets to babies kind of bad, right? This guy is a, is, a, is a bad human being. We would expect Jesus to come to somebody like this and say, Zacchaeus, you need to come down and you need to give away all your illegally earned money to poor people. And you need to stop stealing. You need to stop cussing. You need to stop gambling, lying, fornicating, and drinking. And then I'll come to your house and eat. That's what we would expect Jesus to say to somebody like this because this guy is a, is a bad sinner, right? This is the worst of the worst. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus met him right where he was in the middle of all his sin, and he built a relationship with him. In fact, the story is kind of ambiguous about the order of events, but we know from custom of the Bible that what Jesus actually did was he met Zacchaeus where he was, and then he went into his house and spent the rest of the afternoon there. That's why all of the people were grumbling, this man's gone in to eat with a sinner. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, you got to get cleaned up before I can come to you, and you got to get cleaned up before I can spend time with you. No, he met him right in the middle of all his sin and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Get ready. See, Jesus did the exact opposite of what we so often do in the church. Because if I can be honest to you, what we do in the church, so someone gets saved or they, be, they begin coming to church, and we church folks become the sin police. It's the truth. Uh, a couple of y'all chuckling, but it's the truth, right? We get on Facebook and we start scrolling through and we say, to, and listen, I'm, I know it's the truth because I, I'm a church folk too, right? I'm one of you. But we get on Facebook and we start scrolling through and we see somebody who's been coming to church for the past two weeks and they've been out partying last night and we say, man, these people ain't saved. They still, they've been out partying last night. You know why? They've been coming to church two weeks. They're still lost. God didn't call us to get people cleaned up before they come in. God called us to go to them and to get them here so that he could do the cleaning up. 
Here's the bottom line, church. God has called us to meet people where they are in the middle of all their sin, in the middle of all their nastiness and all their junk, and to do everything we can do to bring them to where Jesus wants them to be. And I'm going to be honest with you. That'll be messy. That'll be hard. That'll be uncomfortable. That will, there'll be times where you don't know if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. There'll be times where you're just like, I don't even know if I'm encouraging this or if I'm trying to tell the person to change. I don't know. But here's what I want you to see. This is what Jesus did with people. And as a church, if we're going to be faithful, this is what we got to do with people. And the reality of this is a lot of times I think this becomes so hard for Christians because we forget that we were just like Zacchaeus when Jesus saved us. We forget where we come from. We forget what all God has brought us out of. So when other people come in and they're struggling, we look at them and say, yeah, they're struggling. They need to get cleaned up. And we forget the fact that it took us years and years and years for God to sanctify us to the point where we are here today. And it seems... It seems to me, I was thinking about this as I was preparing the sermon. It seems to me that from time to time, we've gotten the reputation of being a church uh, that's somewhat soft on sinners. I've I've had people kind of make that that, uh, insinuation to me before. And I, I just thought, as I was preparing this, I thought this would be a good time to address that. If we've got that reputation, I think we need to, to talk about it here this morning. And so let me address it. Church members people who are heart and soul with us here this morning, people who are on board with Connection Church, let me just say, you better believe that I expect you to be in a growing relationship with Christ and killing sin. And as a church, we want to be a place that's constantly encouraging you to do that. It's okay not to be okay, but let me tell you something. It's not okay to say that, stay that way, and the Bible says that. However, that's for my church members. If we appear to be a place for people who are lost and broken and are the worst of sinners imaginable to come and get the grace of an awesome Savior, if we appear to the outside world to be a place who is soft on people who have no idea what they're doing in their life, if we appear to the outside world to be a place that deals softly with people who are struggling and they don't know how to get out of situations they're in and they don't want to keep on sinning, but they keep on sinning, if we appear to the outside world to be a church that's soft on that, that, that kind of stuff, let me just make very clear, you dang right we are. Because Jesus was very soft with people like Zacchaeus. And as, and as I look at it, I'm going to be more like Christ than more like these religious people who are grumbling. Now, you notice I gave you two distinct dichotomies there. There is spiritual growth, but there is grace and there is patience and there is love for those of us who are figuring it out. And guess what? The last time I checked, I'm up here preaching this morning and I got a lot to figure out. The reality is, church, And hear me say this to each one of you with love, because I don't know where each one of us are at this morning. Some of us are at different places with this, and and with meeting people where they're at and walking with them. So hear me say this to you with, with love and a desire for you to be like Christ. And I'm preaching this to myself because, listen, I just want to encourage you. I was the person that for years and years and years, I looked at people and said, that can't be a church member because their their life ain't clean enough yet. I was the person that said, no, you got to have this, this, and this together before you can be a church member. So, listen, hear me say this to you with a heart full of, of love and a desire for you to live a life like Christ. But if dining with and going after and pursuing and doing life with sinners makes us uncomfortable, then we have more in common with the Pharisees than we have in common with Jesus. 
And I just want to tell you how this has played out in my life. I have made it a point in my life, over the, especially over the past year and a half. Me and Jenna have both ha- have tried to, to gear our mind more toward the mission of God and less toward just trying to come in this place from Sunday to Sunday and, uh, and a Christian being a person who comes to church. We've tried to start gearing our minds toward the mission of God. And I just want to share with you how that's played it out in my life. And listen, I am by no means perfect, and I am figuring it out every day as I go, and I'm trying to be faithful to Scripture and honor God, and I'm trying to reach lost people. And I, w- I want to encourage it's messy and it's not easy and it's hard but I'm trying to figure it out and how it's played out in my life is a couple different ways the first way is this I spend from August or well really June or July uh, when summer practice starts I spend from June or July to the last part of November every year with a group of guys who cuss and swear and gamble and do all that kind of thing far more than they pray okay like these, these are not the group of guys that, that are coming to church every Sunday morning leading their families into church, right? And I just want to be honest with you, as, I've, as the past four years if I, as I've done this and I've grown in it, there have been days where I've gone home to myself and thought, I need to quit doing this because they're wearing off on me more than I'm wearing off on them, right? I mean, y'all might be more spiritual than I am, but I'm just not there yet. And I've thought to myself, and then I get on my knees the next morning and I pray, God, would you just give me the opportunity to talk about you again today and would you begin to work in their heart and save them, right? But here's what I know without an absolute shadow of a doubt, that unless I'm there to talk about Jesus, they're not going to hear about Jesus. And I'm pretty sure the last time I, talk, I, I checked that people who don't hear about Jesus don't get saved by Jesus. And it's messy, and I'm trying to figure it out. But I want you to try to, to get involved in that way and, and do the same thing. Another way that it's, that it's uh, played out this morning, I was talking with a, with a buddy of mine this morning about fantasy football. Anybody in here play fantasy football? we got a couple guys, right? Listen, if you don't play fantasy football and you're a guy, do it. It's fun. I mean, it's, you get to have a good time, and you actually get to feel like you're playing sports again. It's, there's, it's a win-win, all right? But I was talking with a guy about a fantasy football league I joined. And listen, the fantasy football league I joined has, 12 guys in it one of them goes to church here the other 10 are lost so it's me and him in the in a fantasy league with 10 lost guys and the name of the league is something that i can't even repeat up here on on, from the pulpit right i got my invite the other day from the league and i was like what is the name of this league that's pretty profane right but here's what i know listen i'm gonna get to play fantasy football and I got an opportunity for the next 16 weeks of the NFL season to some level to show them that, hey, Christians are normal, and I just want you to know the Jesus that I know, right? That's how it's played out for me. And the question I have for you is, how are you doing it, this believer, this morning? Because I told you, I'm, I, I'm growing in it. But I want to ask you this. Are you going after sinners, meeting them where they are? Or are you expecting them to get cleaned up and come to you? Because I want to tell you something that don't happen every day. Sinners don't get cleaned up and come to Jesus by themselves. And we all come, we live in a community where we've seen what churches that, churches that don't grow and churches that sit stagnant and churches that have been the same size our whole life. But I want to assure you that the reason that's probably the case is because a lot of times we expect sinners to get cleaned up before they come into the church. And I pray to God at Connection Millen that's never the case. I pray to God that's never the case. 
And then there's the last thing, point number three. I want you to see the kind of response that Jesus expects from people. So see, I want you to see how we've progressed through this passage, okay? We see that Jesus has come to save the very worst of the worst. Zacchaeus is a low-down scumbag, and Jesus comes to him and meets him where he's at and says, I don't care that you're a horrible sinner. I'm going to love you despite all that. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus didn't stop there. Because, see, a lot of us have lost family and friends, and that's as far as we've come. We've come to a point where we've said, I have a relationship with this person. We have coworkers where we, that we see every day that we have a relationship with, but we have stopped at the point of getting them to where Christ actually wants them to be. See, Jesus didn't stop at a relationship. Jesus had a goal in mind. So look with me at verse 8. What kind of response does Jesus want from people? What kind of response does Jesus expect from a lost person? Verse 8 says this. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. So this is after Jesus has gone in to dine with this man. Jesus has, come, Jesus has gone in and he spent the evening there with this person. We don't know what Jesus said to him. We don't know if Jesus like... Uh, Karate chopped him and was like, repent. We don't know if he was just like, so tell me about how your income and how you're getting it. Well, we don't know. All we know is that Jesus had a relationship with the person, and then this is what he's saying after, okay? Zacchaeus stood and said to him, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. There's a few things I want you to see out of Zacchaeus' response. The very first thing is this. I want you to see what Zacchaeus called Jesus. Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord. He calls Jesus Lord. That word there, the Greek word is the word kyrios. It means to belong to someone who is sovereign and in control over your whole life. It, it conveys the notion that they make all the decisions. They're in control. You do what they say, when they say, how they say it, when they want it done, right? You have no control if somebody else is your Lord. And Jesus looks to him, and he, uh, Zacchaeus looks to Jesus and calls him Lord. Here's what I want you to see. This is what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. He is in control. He calls the shots. You're not out living for yourself. You're living for somebody who has complete authority over you. And as we seek to meet people who are lost and struggling with sin, the place we want them to get to, the place that God wants them to get to, is a place where they surrender their life to Christ and say, Jesus, you're Lord, I'm not. I die to myself and I follow you every single day. That's the place God's out to get us to, out to get people to. So let me ask you this. With the lost people in your life, the people that you want to know Jesus, are you doing anything to get them to a place where they call Jesus Lord? In your own personal life, Christian, can you say with honesty that Jesus is Lord? Can you say with honesty that Jesus calls the shots in my life? I don't call the shots. Jesus is in control. I'm not in control. Can you say that? Is Jesus Lord? So Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord, but he also, he turned from sin. He turned from sin. Look at, look at what Zacchaeus says. He says, half my goods I give to the poor. Now understand something. That's 50% off the top. He's broke. How did Zacchaeus earn this money? He lied, he cheated, and he stole. Right? 
So what he's saying is, I'm turning away from those things. He used to be a thief. He used to be a cheat. He used to lie. Now he not only stops doing those things, but he makes restitution for the things that he's already done wrong. This is called repentance. Any person who has truly surrendered their life to Christ as Lord will live a life that is marked by repentance. And what that means is that you know all the things that you used to do before Christ was Lord was wrong. You know how you used to live when you were in control. You know how you used to live when you were calling the shots. You know what your weekends looked like when you were calling the shots. And you see those things for what they really are. And you see them and they're dirty to you and you turn from them. You repent. That's what repentance means. I love the old, how this used to play out in the battlefields, right? In the Civil War and the Revolutionary War, when when King, when uh, nations went out to war, they would line up in front of each other in lines of 20 to 50, and they would throw guns out and stand about 20 yards apart and shoot each other. Now, for the life of me, I don't know who thought that was a good way to wage a battle. I just can't, I can't fathom where standing 20 yards apart from another guy with a gun seems like a smart idea, right? But that's how they used to do it. And they would throw these guns out, and they would begin to fire. And when one side began to kill more people than the other side had killed, the general would look, and he would see that he's losing, and he would yell, repent, repent, repent. And what that meant was surrender, turn around, run, get out of here, because if you stay here, you're going to get killed. And I love, that's a great illustration of what repentance is in our life. It's a thing where we're looking at it, and we're seeing this is not a good idea. If I stay here, I'm going to be destroyed. If I stay here, I'm going to die, at least a spiritual death, if not a physical one. And we look at it and we say, I have to get out of here. I need to repent. I need to turn from that. And as a point of clarification, let me remind us that repentance is not just something that unbelievers do. Listen, a lot of us think that we repentance is what we do when we get saved. We repent one time and the rest of it's good to go and we're done and everything's good and we're okay, right? But repentance is something that believers do every single day. Believer, let me ask you this. This is how God God weighed this on my heart as I prepared this message and as I studied the text. Are you as broken about your sin as Zacchaeus was about his? Because what I see a lot of times in Christians is that they're more broken about other people's sin than they are their own. And now listen, as I said that, some of you were like, yeah, so-and-so needed to hear that because they always talk about somebody else's sin and they don't ever look at their own sin. No, I want you to stop for just a second and think about the sin in your own life. Whether you, this past week, whether you have gossiped, whether you have uh, lied, whether you have lusted, whether you've been prideful or selfish, think about your own personal struggle with sin. Think about that for just a second. And ask yourself, am I broken for my sin? Am I broken for what I've done? Or are you like the people in this story? See, the people in this story, the religious people in this story, were more broken about Zacchaeus' sin than they were their own. See, repentance is when we become broken about our own sin. And not only does Zacchaeus repent, but he trusts, he puts himself at great personal risk, and he trusts in God. Listen, he says, 
50% of everything I got, I'll give to the poor. It's gone, I'll give it away. Here's what's really crazy, because Zacchaeus was so rich, he could have gave away the 50% and never missed it. He would have been good to go, golden. He still got 50% of rich. And I don't know if we got any rich people in here, but 50% of rich is still rich, okay? That's how rich works, okay? So he says, I got 50% of rich. I can still go. But look at what he says. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I'll give anybody who I've wronged four times what, I've t- what I took from them. Now, I told you, Zacchaeus got rich by, by doing people wrong. And now he's saying, I'll give anybody four times. And I'm, I don't know if y'all are like me, but I'm doing the math. And I said, Zacchaeus, that don't work. You already gave away 50%. You can't give four times. What, 50%, I'm, I'm not, that's 200%. And you don't have 200%, right? I, know, I just confused some of y'all, right? That's, I'm just, that's my math. I don't know if that's right or not. But I'm like, Zacchaeus, what, what if Rome comes tomorrow and asks for the tax money that you owe for the week? You're not going to have it, Zacchaeus, because you gave it all away. What if, what if somebody gets sick, Zacchaeus, and you've got to pay doctor's bills? What if, Zacchaeus, what if you fall on hard times? What if you've got to put new tires on the truck? What if you got medical bills? What if you can't afford to eat, Zacchaeus? What about you can't give away all your money? What we see Zacchaeus doing here is turning from trusting in himself, and he begins to trust in God. Because what he says is, I have trusted in money for too long. There is only one thing that can satisfy my soul, and it's God. He stopped trusting in power. He stopped trusting in wealth. And he started trusting in Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. That's what salvation is. Repentance and faith. We turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus. Zacchaeus' response is the model of what it means to be seeking people seeking to bring other people to Jesus. We are praying for people, and we are seeking people, and we are meeting people where they are with the hopes that they will turn from their sin and trust in God and make Jesus Lord of their lives. And even more, Christians, this is a story of a model. This is a story of a model of what we should want our own lives to look like. Because as I was reading this, as I was reading this, here's what God spoke to me. I want to pursue sinners with the heart of Jesus. I want to go after lost people and say, I want you to know Jesus. You need to know Christ. I want to pursue sinners with the heart of Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus with the heart of Zacchaeus. Because once Jesus met Zacchaeus, nothing else mattered. He gave it all away. As we close this morning, I want to make a challenge to the Christians here today. See the gospel and the mission of God and see that it's bigger than me. God's kingdom, God's mission, God's gospel is about getting the lost person to him, to know him. It's not about what makes me comfortable. It's not about whether I like the music or I like the way we do chairs or I like serving in KK. It's not about any of those things. God has called us to follow Jesus and to follow his example and to meet people where they are and bring them to him. And here's what I want to challenge Christians to do this morning. If you are a believer in Christ, will you come down to this altar and pray for one lost person? Pray for one person who you can meet where they are and bring to Jesus. Pray at your seat. Pray at the altar. Just pray for one person who God, who you can be like Jesus to and meet where they are and point to Jesus. And the last thing I want to do is I want to challenge each of us to see the gospel in this story. You see, we all know that the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross and rose three days later to save lost people like Zacchaeus. We know that. 
But I want to challenge you to see the true meaning of this story this morning. The true meaning of this story is that we are all like Zacchaeus. We are all the worst of the worst. So often we read this story and, and we thank God that we aren't as bad of a person as Zacchaeus. But that's not true. The truth is we are Zacchaeus, the ones who are corrupt and filthy. We are all sinners who have sinned against a holy God and we deserve the punishment of death and hell. Now you might be here this morning and you might be saying, I'm not like Zacchaeus. I hadn't stole from anybody. I hadn't cheated anybody. I hadn't lied to people out of money. But here's what I want you to see this week. You have lied to somebody or at least considered lying about it. White lies count. You have lusted in your mind. And you know what Jesus said? Lust is just as good as adultery. You have been selfish this week. And the Bible says that's like putting yourself before God. You have looked at other things this morning and coveted after them. And the Bible says that's accusing God of not being good and thinking you know better than God. What I want you to see is that we are all just like Zacchaeus. We are all the ones who are filthy and dirty and in need of a Savior to save us. And we will never fully appreciate the cross of Jesus Christ until we realize that we are the kind of people that Christ died on the cross to save. Christ didn't die on the cross to save Zacchaeus. Christ died on the cross to save me. Christ died on the cross to save you. And for believers this morning, thank God we're like Zacchaeus. Praise God that Jesus met us where we were at and called our name and brought us to Christ. We are saved because of the mercy and the grace of Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Praise God. If you're a believer this morning, that is for you. But here's what I want you to understand. There are many of us here today who are unlike Zacchaeus. We've never surrendered our life to Christ. You've never repented of your sin. You've never trusted in Christ. And today I want you to see the offer before you. Okay? I'm, off, I'm, I'm laying this offer out for you. It's for you to take or to leave. There's a Savior who came to this earth and lived the life that you could not live and died the death that you deserve to die so that you can be reconciled to God. That Savior is calling you by name today, just like he called Zacchaeus 2,000 years ago. And today is the day for you to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and make him Lord. You see, the cross says that you don't have to do a thing. The cross says it's all been done. All you have to do is look. All you have to do is be saved. And I want to ask you this morning as we... As we Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we, as we close in prayer here. But with head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today and you realize today is the day for me to be saved, if that's you and you realize that, you, I would just say a prayer something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner like Zacchaeus, and I deserve your punishment. But God, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I repent of my sins and place my faith in you for you to be my Lord. Uh, just pray something like that. There's no special magic in the words, but there is power in calling out to God to save us. And if you, if you prayed something like that this morning, will you just slip your hand up so we can pray with you? This morning, if you called on Jesus to save you, would you, you just slip that hand up so we could celebrate with you this morning? That's absolutely fine. Here's what I want us to do. This altar is going to be open. Let's pray that we could be more like Zacchaeus and follow God with all that we are. Dear God, I love you so much. God, as the band comes this morning, I just pray, God, that you would do something amazing in our midst, that we could worship you, God, that we could know you, God, and that we could feel your presence here today. Dear God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the lost people around us, and I pray that we would do all that we can do to meet people where they are and get them to Christ. In your name I pray.